I'm Nick Friedman. I'm Lee Alec Murray. And I'm Leah President. And this is Crunchyroll Presents The Anime Effect. We are a new show breaking down the anime news, views, and shows you care about each and every week. I can't think of a better studio to bring something like this to life. Yeah, I agree. We're covering all the classics. If I don't know a lot about Godzilla, which I do, but I'm trying to pretend (laughs) that I don't right now. Hold it in. And our current faves. Luffy must have his due. (laughs) Tune in every week for the latest anime updates and possibly a few debates. I remember, what was that? (laughs) Say what you're going to say and I'll circle back. You can listen to Crunchyroll Presents The Anime Effect every Friday wherever you get your podcasts. And watch full video episodes on Crunchyroll or the Crunchyroll YouTube channel. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard. But now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com wondersuite. Hello and welcome to the What Culture Gaming Podcast. I am your host, Benjamin Richardson. Now, in the autumn of 1996, an unassuming software house from Derby, England, rustled up the leaves of the video game industry with the release of an astonishing new 3D action game. Originally landing on the Sega Saturn, Tomb Raider put players in the combat boots of British explorer, come archaeologist Lara Croft, invited them on a globe-trodden adventure to ancient ruins and forgotten temples unlike ever seen before. Shortly after arriving on the PlayStation, the game exploded in popularity. Lara captured the general public's imagination in a way not seen by a video game character since Pac-Man, becoming a mainstream cultural icon in the process. Tomb Raider was a complete phenomenon. It turned publisher Idis's fortunes around, transforming pre-tax losses of $2.6 million to an astonishing $14.5 million profit. Naturally, a slew of sequels, movies, and merchandise opportunities followed in a bid to milk Lara Mania for all it was worth. With me to discuss the impact of Tomb Raider is a man who looks like he's robbed a few graves in his time. It's what culture music's James Douse. James, Hello. how are you? Good, how are you? Very good. good now, stuff. James, what are your specific memories of Tomb Raider? How did you first get into the series? Obviously, you're a little younger than I am, so you didn't play it when it first released. Yeah. Uh, I, As a family, I've got uh, two older brothers who had the game growing up on the PlayStation 1, which was Tomb Raider 1, and then... Just after I was born, I assume, they broke the game, and then we had the Tomb Raider 2 and 3 on the PC. Physically broke it. Yes, physically broke it. That's a long story. Anyway, so I grew up on playing the PC versions of Tomb Raider 2 and 3, and sadly I wasn't born to play Tomb Raider 1 until recently, which I played Tomb Raider 1. So did you play these Tomb Raider games after playing other games on like better consoles, better hardware? Did you play other Tomb Raider games before them by any chance? No. I would probably say it was one of the first games I've ever played, Tomb Raider 2 and 3. So that's, um, a, that's a very... Yeah. That's an interesting introduction to video games, and it sort of gives you an early appreciation of how far gaming had came immediately. Mm-hmm. Did yeah. you enjoy them? Obviously, you did. I loved them. Tomb Raider 2 is personally my favourite, but after playing Tomb Raider 1, I can understand why that is a lot of other people's favourites. Right, and you played, uh, you say you played Tomb Raider 3 as well? Yes. Um, I don't 
care for that one to be honest. I like the first level where you slide so, down the hill, but a lot after... of a lot of people a lot of people don't, and I think it's because on the PlayStation it dispenses with a, a save system that is in any way fair or fun whatsoever. You have to collect save points in what is already an extraordinarily tough game. I can imagine for a, a young child that would be unbearable to play. Was that on? Was that the same feature on PC? Was it still not? No, just but, the, but the passport on the PC the the um they gave a lot of leeway and just basically say when you like. This is yeah, ridiculous. Yeah. Say when yeah, you like. That's yeah. the one I know. I wasn't. I didn't know about that PlayStation one. But yeah, go on. So the most interesting thing about Tomb Raider for me, and when you came into it, is the actual character of Lara Croft. So for me, when when I first played Tomb Raider, now I was a, a Nintendo adherent. Mm-hmm. I've got the N64 for the PlayStation. So I actually, it wasn't until 1997 that I got into the PlayStation. I finally sort of dipped into the other side, became a turncoat, as it were. And I got a PlayStation with a four-game pack. It was uh, Gran Turismo, mm-hmm. Crash Bandicoot, Tomb Raider, and Tomb Raider 2. So that's a pretty good four-game That's very good, it. yeah. But this was, 97 is Tomb Raider 2. It, it was only, I think, 18 months after Tomb Raider came out that I developed it. And this okay. was still the height of Lara Mania. Uh, Lara Croft was very much a mainstream icon, which is sort of interesting when you consider that she wasn't even originally going to be the protagonist in the game. I think the initial plan was to have a male and a female character in the game that okay. the player could choose between. But Toby Gard realised, you know, if I do that, I'm doubling my work here. It's hard enough <laughs> as it is. There's only six people working on it, so he just basically he picked his favourite, which was a South... Uh, I think she was a woman of South American ethnicity called Laura Cruz. And then over time, they gradually uh, refined it in this, you know, the upper crust British explorer Lara Croft, yeah. uh, and then and then quickly they realised this is an asset, an asset in its own right, and she became the key selling point of the game. She was in a full page spread of the Financial Times, his prospectus. She was in the Sunday Telegraph, oh. of all things. And then when the game was launched, she was in LucasArts commercials. She was on the cover of Lads Mags. She was in the Face, like a British style ma- uh, magazine. And of course, this was at the time when 3D graphics was starting. To- now, it sounds ridiculous to say it now, but it's starting to approach a point where they were just realistic enough for people to take them seriously. It wasn't pixels. It wasn't, yeah. you know, low-color. People saw this fully 3D-rendered woman thought, wow, she's, you know, she's she could be a supermodel. Yeah. Uh, and for that reason, inevitably, she became exploited in the same way, you know. As much as she was a feminist icon, and she was like, effectively the, the sixth Spice Girl. She really captured that girl power zeitgeist. She was also in the Lads Max. who was uh, I remember Computer and Video Games magazine published really like elaborate instructions on how you could get Lara Croft naked in the game, which everyone just thought, no, that's normal. Everyone went home and tried it and thought nothing of it. Obviously, it's ridiculous now. But when you were coming into it, that that Lara Croft's perception arguably changed complete in 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 a different way. She was maybe just a you know just a, she was an icon of video gaming, but she was just another character and she didn't carry any of those. Associated traits. How did how did you see Lara Croft? Did you understand why she was cool? Did you consider that she was cool? See, but, was she? Go on. I was going to say, did, did did she draw you into the games at all? That character. I think. Um, I, so I'm going to say that I would have probably played the game around 2002, 2003. So at this point, I'm presuming there was more female protagonists in video games by that point. So personally, I just thought, oh cool, I'm playing as a character. But I bet when it first came out, that was a milestone for having video uh, video game female protagonists. I mean, it was in a sense. I mean, there yeah. had been other games, obviously, before that with female protagonists, but none Metroid, were quite on course. the same scale. Metroid, obviously, yeah. The thing is, is that Lara Croft, uh, she became synonymous with PlayStation, and PlayStation mm. made games cool. 
So they brought them into the mainstream view, and then you had this character uh, who was emblematic of it, and was a woman. So obviously, except for Miss Pac-Man, I guess you want to consider her in the same light. Yeah. She, she was the first the first female character to actually take off and make people step back and realize actually games aren't just gun toting men, because yeah. some of them are gun toting women. Yeah. Uh, but for you, you didn't get any of that. You just saw her as another no, game character. I just played the game, carried on, which is quite so, quite good actually when you think about it. Well, that. Sort of goes to suggest that she did normalise. Yeah, that's uh, what I mean. Female protagonist. Yeah, it's quite impressive how it managed to do that for no one to bat an eyelid. Just when you were playing, when you were playing Tomb Raider two or Tomb Raider one, did you like the character? Did she appeal yeah. to you in anywhere? Well, she's quite good, isn't she? Really, she she's, she's she kills the tigers. Good, she kills the people. She she kills everything. <laughs> so you didn't you didn't have any association with Angelina Jolie? I think she's like oh, she's a movie character. That's when, been when did the movie come out was that 2003 i think it was when was it as late as that i'm not sure it might right either way i'd seen that film and i just it's just a it's a film isn't it really it's not special i don't know why they did it well it's interesting because as did you play any of the other tomb raiders on the playstation 2 i had um legends and then what was the one angel of darkness right okay Um, so angel of darkness was a bit of a disaster and mm. i think that was the first game where they started to mix up the... Like, Lara Croft essentially became the, the brand itself. Yeah. And they actually took... I think they took the logo from the movie and used it in the game. So it was a bit of okay. a street fight of a movie, the game style thing, yeah. where they were trying to sell the game on the basis of a movie that was based on the game. So I think they were trying to say to people, you can play as Angelina Jolie in this game, which mm-hmm. you, you couldn't, obviously. But yeah. um, they, Have you seen any of those movies? I've seen I've seen the uh, Angelina Jolie one. Isn't there only one? And then there was one recently. There was one recently. I watched it on the back of a plane. No, not the back of a plane. The back of a seat on a plane. Ah, yes. Coming home from South Korea, uh, it wasn't on the back of my seat. It was on the back of someone else's. <laughs> and despite having no sound, I still felt like I was able to follow the movie quite closely. And I mm-hmm. still thought it was very very boring. Yeah, and I ended up watching Mrs. Doubtfire on about seven other adjacent <laughs> seats instead. I was, I was really, really struggling to sleep, and this this did not aid me. But it, oh. but watching it, I didn't get any sense of no. But it just felt like a generic action movie with yeah. with no relation of a sense of wonder that was present in the original games. Mm-hmm. Whereas I bet the Angelina Jolie one was a bit closer to the video games in some way. It had well, I don't know. It had Chris Chris Barry as the butler. Yes, yes, like. You know, I had Rimmer, Arnold Rimmer as, as, as Angelina Jolie's butler. Yeah. Um, I'm I'm glad to say I haven't seen it, but I, but I think that was just, that was maybe the turning point for Lara's character. I just remember that as the games went on, was I saw the backlash towards her and how she'd been just forced down people's throats. People were just tired of that character, and 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 that's why I'm asking in in your time frame of playing it, how maybe it wasn't seen as cool anymore, and you didn't really want to get it. But luckily. You were introduced at a good point. You didn't have any of that associated that stigma that yeah. came in later times. Um, I would probably say, because we owned them all, um, we pretty much owned every single Tomb Raider game, but the one we played the most was the one, the original trilogy of, well, two and three on the PC. We didn't, I can't, I don't have many vivid memories of the PS2 ones. Um, well, you wouldn't, because I, I would say they become really sort of wrote and by the books that's what i mean the word you know, really is very generic country I think that a, phenomenal as there was yeah back i think then. i think i think that applies to the crystal dynamics term raiders in general i i 
Did you play Rise of Tomb Raider or I the Tomb Raider reboot? Tomb Raider, what year was it? 2013, 20, 2013, it? I believe. Yes, yeah. I played that one. Played a bit of Rise of the Tomb Raider. I haven't played any of Shadow, uh, but I've got it. But ready to complete Rise, ready for Shadow. So. Yeah, see, I, I thought they were very good games, but I thought they were more basically just... It felt like Uncharted clones it was, it, having, yeah. having any identity of their own. Yeah, it was Uncharted yeah. that you could play on an Xbox. Yeah, even though I can't really criticise what they actually... I thought the story in the first one was a little bit naff. Um, yeah. And the combat became very tiresome towards the end, as it does in every game, as you just mm-hmm. shoot in reams and reams of enemies. But it had no personality. And one of the... Getting the next thing, obviously, if you played the original Tomb Raider's first, this might be a bit of a redundant question. But one of the things that puts a lot of people off revisiting those old Tomb Raider games are the controls and the way that Lara moves. Mm-hmm. Now, Mario 64 was often compared to Tomb Raider at the time. People said that Tomb Raider was essentially for PlayStation's Mario 64. And this was simply because they were both big, expansive 3D action games that were symbolic of the respective consoles and sold lots and lots of copies. But if you actually play the two games side by side, you'll notice that they don't share a lot in common at all in terms of the gameplay. Whereas Mario 64 emphasized fluidity and versatility and uh, it wasn't rigid at all. Tomb Raider is all about strict precision. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's actually because the game was developed on a grid system. It's the only reason it was possible. It actually, I think it was in development well before Mario 64. And it's only when they came up with this grid idea that decided this is viable, this is a workable concept. As a result, controlling Lara is like controlling a forklift truck, which is something we'll get onto in the inevitable Shenmue podcast. <laughs> you, you sort of have to like maneuver a very precisely into position and you have to take yeah. a step back. Uh, every jump is at, is at a set distance and metrics are very, very uh, precisely defined. You didn't have a problem with that, I'm guessing, because you played it when you played it. Yeah. Um, it was because it's not WASD, is it? It's actually the up, down, left, right on the keyboard, isn't it? To play. Well, it's like a, yeah, it's like tank controls yeah. as well. Um, which I guess at the time, because you don't really need the mouse to look around the environments because that was put to shift so you could look up and down but i remember alt was jump space was shoot and it was a weird concoction that he was doing with your hands to be able to play the game but you still felt very much in control of her as you were playing when we talk about mario 64 one of the interesting things is that we both agree that if you play it back now mario as, as, as fluid as he is if you try and turn around sometimes you'll just wang off the edge yeah because he doesn't know how to do a proper turning circle in she did that barrel thing, yeah. Yeah, she, her, her solution was to go, um, you know, arse over the tit, <laughs> onto her face, do a ridiculous roll so she could point in the other direction. But, yeah. but the irony of that, that ludicrous solution is that you could guarantee, no matter what, that you definitely wouldn't fall off an edge. You had the, mm-hmm. like, you had the security going forward. Did you, did you think that gave the game its own personality? Did you yeah. think it made it feel like its own thing? It was 100% its own thing, and I think the best example of it would be being able to tiptoe to the edges of platforms. Would you, cause would you be able to do that on Mario 64 tiptoe? Could you do that? No, where Mario 64 worked is that because it was so excited about its analog controls is that you had to sort of hold the analog stick very gently to do it. There was no yeah. walk button yes. as such. But Tomb Raider, I noticed very much with that, you tiptoe to the edge, you calculate, it was kind of like a math sum, as you said, with the grid system, and then you calculated where you were going to jump, then you stick your arms out as much as you can, and then you grab onto the ledge. And right, it was, because that's... Yeah. 
that's exactly how I feel it was like unlocking the controls themselves were part of the puzzle rather than it just mm. okay yeah. I've worked out doing and you just do it uh, I I played at a time when there was no there was no concept of universal controls between games you would generally have to learn how to play a game uh, every game had its own tactile vocabulary and that was just you know that was just one of the processes and I like that and it, I, every game felt I like it had its own fingerprints if you you could play that game you could you could strip away Lara Croft you could strip away the environments and play that game and it still feel like Tomb Raider which yeah. is in fact what actually happened when they made Death Trap Dungeon and I think it was another game so it was basically just the same game except it had a, a sword wield and hero a very 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 um, scanty outfit which they eventually changed but uh, <laughs> one of one of one of the great things about it about the level design was that you would be able to read it perfectly one one you'd look at a gap and know mm. okay this is a long jump this is a short jump and then you'd be able to apply the controls to it perfectly yeah that 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 was part of the puzzle yeah now did you think did you think that was lost in the later games i certainly did i mean is it even to me the original trilogy compared to the most recent trilogy can you even compare them that much to be honest i don't think i don't think you can though no um, didn't they plan with Shadow to be more puzzle-based, which I guess uh, harkens back to the originals? But I don't think the... with the new trilogy, it wasn't the most puzzle-based game. It was kind of more of an action game, really, wasn't it? I thought it was absolutely an action game. I thought it was very yeah. much chasing the uncharted narrative, cinematic narrative yeah. approach. Did you? A lot of people say that the old Tomb Raider is very unfair as well. Like you could, there were a lot of sudden deaths, and I think that happened as the games went on. Did you experience that in the first two at all? Or did you always find that because of its level of precision, you had com- complete control of what you were doing and mistakes, you were punished for your own mistakes? See, I there was one thing I noticed that when you was doing like a running jump and you press alt, sometimes you would fall off the cliff and sometimes you just wouldn't. And it was very hit and miss whether it would actually work or not. But See, I, I don't know if I necessarily agree with that because I think if you do the core design recommended running jump, it works every time. Mm. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. But you, you don't really... I guess that's the issue coming into that game. You're expecting it to be more responsive than it is, and that's really not what it's, not what it's about, especially if you're going back from newer games to it. That, that probably mm-hmm. is where people trip up. Yeah. I, um, another thing, going on a slight bit of a tangent, but with Mario, comparing Mario to Tomb Raider, Mario, you felt like a small 
person. You felt very mm. small and you felt very, <laughs> it sounds round. very odd, very round. Whereas Lara was very tall and thin. So your movement was very particular. Whereas Mario, we just ran around in big circles. But because of how Lara was, it was very intricate movements. All of That's really interesting. That's That really speaks to where both games separately create a weight in the character. Yeah. I was filled with Mario, but this is it's partially inferred by the, the power meter that you have and the fact that you know you can make mistakes and collect coins and to retrieve your energy. But he feels softer and like he can absorb punishment. And that's mm-hmm. also to do with the way he physically is comported. Whereas Lara, she, she does feel fragile, doesn't she? You know yeah. at any point that she's going to get damaged, even though she's got a big long health bar. Mm-hmm. Like you can get mauled by a tiger, but you know a big drop will kill her. Yeah. And it's I, I totally agree with you there. Frightening when you hear the sound bite of her screaming as she falls. Like sometimes a fall yeah. is fine, but the second you hear her scream, that's when you're like, oh God. It's She's interesting been... that there's just sometimes it's only one inch is the difference between like a falling to death and, big, and, yeah. and, and being crumpling up into a horrible <laughs> bones and flesh. Now, we talk about the, the way the level designs uh, effectively a puzzle that you unwrap. Yep. They're also amongst the first levels in games to really create these epic moments of wonder. Is there mm-hmm. anything that really stood out for you? Uh, did you like also about generally had a lack of guidance and you had to sort of you had to you had to learn or work your way around them yourself. You had to understand the environment and you, you really like you got the sense of isolation, the sense of exploration that I don't think was replicated in later games. I a hundred percent agree with that because playing Tomb Raider one, the wonder of seeing like the uh, the Sphinx when in the Egypt levels underground and stuff and seeing um just seeing all of these beautiful environments but when you get to tomb raider 2 and 3 i don't think that there was as much tomb raiding in those games and you just went down the streets of venice uh, the canals of venice sorry and you went to the great wall of china I and mean, you didn't see the wonderment that was in tomb raider 1 of seeing the sphinx and then going underground is- it's just it was just a beautiful i think that the first one encapsulated the game much more than any of the sequels. Yeah, and in the fourth one, The Last Revelation, they actually made it entirely tomb-based because people had said, yeah, yeah. you know, this has just become an action game, we want tombs. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned the Sphinx, for me, that was one of the big moments. Like, I, I was really into Egyptology as a youngster. And this was, as if you play it now, it looks ridiculous because you've got fog underground because the draw, like, <laughs> yeah, draw distance is so yeah. poor. Like, it feels like, it's hard to explain, it's like the lights have been turned off in, even in a cavern. Yeah. But seeing the Sphinx for me put me in the shoes of it, like Howard Carter with a pair of pistols. It was magnificent. And a lot mm. of pe- things that a lot of people point out was the T-Rex underground yeah. that just comes out of nowhere. It had a real had a real um, capacity for, you know, for mixing the isolation that was so pensive and so immersive with these suddenly standout set pieces that put you on the edge of your seat. And, and it's, it's really transportative quality that I don't think Mario 64 necessarily had in the same way that was... Like it was a fantasy game, it was sort of, uh, it was, you know, it, it was cartoonish, mm-hmm. it was like Looney Tunes sort of stuff, but this was, this felt real, it felt tangible. Yeah. And there was a very big, wide variety of enemies in Tomb Raider 1. You got gorillas, mm-hmm. tigers, T Rexes, all these dinosaurs. Pretty much, pretty much every endangered species that you can think of. <laughs> yeah, and she killed them all. She, yeah, was she, so, was yeah. <laughs> she was David Yeah. She was David Attenborough's nightmare. <laughs> she, <laughs> And, <laughs> but I don't think in the sequels there was that much killing of wild animals. There was a lot of killing of of, of uh, mobsters and henchmen. Yes, yes. With baseball bats. Yeah, and it got who quite would just re- walk around in circles. Yeah, it got quite repetitive, defeating the same enemy 
over and over again in the, in the sequels. But the first one had a lot of cool designs for enemies. Especially a bear at one point. <laughs> that was cool. It had, had bears, it had uh, jaguars, it had, yeah. I think at the end it had these sort of hideous um, Senators. splayed it had the centaurs that fired yeah. lasers out their eyes. It had the, uh, yeah. <laughs> the the flayed the flayed skeletons. I seem to remember with the wings right yeah. at the end. Oh, and, and it had bosses. It had it did have human enemies. It had the the cowboy. Yep. Yes. It had roller skate boy. Was was one of the actual enemies. Yeah. A skateboarding kid. Skateboarding I think was his official one, yeah. name. A chap called Larson. He was he had a bit of personality. So yeah, they really yeah. drifted away from that. Yeah. Now we talk about the levels. I think one of the levels that most people remember, not really a level, was Croft Manor, which is mm-hmm. essentially a training course. Did you bother with that? Did you get stuck in with that? I loved Croft Manor in all of them, and I loved that every single game had a different variation of the house. That was very cool. Uh, the first one set the standard. I understand it did. It was very cool that you could go around her house, check out the boxes of her moving in. Um, it's like there was waiting for a sequel to happen by saying, we haven't moved in yet. We'll unlock these boxes soon. Well, really. see, you mentioned that you've really sort of stumbled upon there that what made this so special is that you would know those boxes from her moving in. They were basically there just as an obstacle course. But yeah. it gave some context to the character. It was a training course that actually told you something about the story. I mean, Terminator doesn't have the best story, but mm-hmm. Lara's character is very well explored just through those little details. You learn a lot about her. You, you see, like... She's converted her manor into a tumbling course. Mm-hmm. She in a bedroom. She's got all her dad's artifacts. She's got a swimming pool. No, it's there to teach you things, but you learn as much about her as you do with controls. I think it's really interesting, and they really, they really liked it as well. Obviously, Core expanded upon that in Tomb Raider Two. You have the assault course. You can lock a butler in the fridge, which everybody loves doing. <laughs> yes, hundred percent. One of the interesting things about it, I think, Toby Gard, or one of the programmers, he developed Lockcroft Manor in a weekend. Really? So I've just had this great idea, and then it became, again, one of the symbols of the game. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, the second one extended it so you could actually go outside of the manor, couldn't you? Because the first one you were stuck That's inside. Right, yeah. uh, the second one brought in the maze, which was haunting. Because you, you could, you could was, get easily get stuck in there. It like, was very, real. very easy to get uh, mistaken where you're at. And then the third one brought in... Didn't it bring in the quad bike? Yeah, had the, a quad bike. Yeah, because there was a quad bike uh, course in the maze as well, wasn't there? Yeah. And it was, it was. I'd say it was probably the, as you say, the best level in the game, which was just Unless... half-assed in a weekend. <laughs> Unless yeah. of the English heritage, seeing those, those, those manor grounds being chopped up by a massive, you know, ATV. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was just um, very, very good, um, and a very good idea. Which it's, is it replicated in the modern games? Not so much, I don't think, no. no. I think it was in Tomb Raider Anniversary. I should imagine so, yeah. Yeah. Now, you say that we did those credits in the, in the idea that they wanted to make a sequel. Ironically, they actually were so knackered after making Tomb Raider that they just wanted a rest. It'd been right. two and a half years in development or whatever, but I just mentioned the profits I made earlier in the pod. They sort of said, look, you're getting on a second <laughs> one immediately. So they were forced to make Tomb Raider 2 in record time. Yeah. And pretty quickly the game became like, the first annualized game. Now, Tomb Raider 2 is you it's the first one you played. Yes. But you played it before Tomb Raider. Yep. Do you think it still holds up now, having played the first one? <laughs> Incredibly not, no. Um I no. always thought because about a year ago me and you went on a Tomb Raider binge, didn't we? Of playing We did, yeah, though. 
Yeah. We and filled our boots, I think, for all 69 pence on Steam <laughs> or something. <laughs> so we bought them all. But Tomb Raider 2, um, I think, growing up, do you know when you just play a game and you only play like the first one or two levels, then you turn it off, game resets, first one or two <laughs> levels, over and over and over again. And the first two, first two levels of Tomb Raider 2 where you go is Great Wall of China, and then it was the Venice. It was Venice. Yes. Uh, both those two levels stunning and then recently when we decided to carry on playing through them i realized that after those two levels it's not that good the cam the missions are here there and everywhere there's occasional becomes, good highlights where there's the opera yeah. house that was good but then there's the emerald city in the sky or whatever it was i think that was it's very one. difficult as well there's a lot of guesswork there's yes. too much combat too much combat for me and quite a lot of set pieces where you can mm. where there's a lot of instant death yeah I just don't think it was as well designed as the first one. And in a way, you can kind of agree with this being rushed sentiment. Yeah, I think also the focus went elsewhere. Like, it it doesn't massively evolve the formula of that you can now climb very, very slowly. And it has gimmicks like the speedboat and the snowmobile, and Lara's ponytail now waggles from side to side, which is something we actually tried to do in the first book, couldn't do it, so just gave her a little pop. So, yeah, I, I actually think if you go back, you sort of see that it does feel tired in its design. And then when you go to Tomb Raider 3, even more so, it's just like one or two little features and maybe a slightly improved lighting system and you can pick your levels, but it doesn't actually... I think the the problem it had is that other games were developing at a higher pace than Tomb Raider as well. It's getting very much stuck in the past. Yeah. Um, Tomb Raider 3, I might be wrong, but didn't they introduce the running meter as well? You can now run, yes. Yes. A little bit faster. is, Is that worth a new game? Just to be able to run? <laughs> no, not not at all. <laughs> no. Um, and, and they kept that same engine right up until Angel of Darkness, by which point yeah. it was beyond all time. It was ancient hat. It was the oldest hat. Yeah. It was a stovepipe hat by that yeah. point. But it was still a revolutionary trilogy. I think so. To And, and even when like Angel of Darkness was a huge failure, to the extent that I just basically said, right, caught, this is too profitable for you, make a mess were taking this off you now and they handed it to Crystal Dynamics. And Crystal Dynamics, even though they almost certainly wanted to go in their own direction, and they did with mm-hmm. Tomb Raider Legend, they ended up developing Tomb Raider Anniversary, which was a remake of the first Tomb Raider. Even they recognised how important that game is and obviously how profitable a remake would be. Did you play a Tomb Raider Anniversary? Yes. Did you like it? No. No. I'm glad it... you said that. <laughs> it wasn't remotely close to being the same game. It had all the no. new mechanics. Which, had lots of glitches where you died constantly because of them. Yeah, and it just wasn't polished at all, and it kind of lost the magic of what was the originals. Did you think it lost its individuality? I mean, it then became somewhat more Uncharted 1 territory. That's when it started yeah, even to not, become even Uncharted. Uncharted wasn't, wasn't out yet, but it was... Was it, was of... it not? No, it was on the PS2, so I think it was... Oh, it was right, pretty okay. much standing away from the other third-person action games of the era. Right, okay. Uh, you, know, you just mentioned how your brothers mm-hmm. don't want to put blame on them, but they end up breaking Tomb Raider. Yes. Yeah. I think Tomb Raider Anniversary was the first game whose disc I actually wanted to snap into. <laughs> it annoyed me so much. I'm a very patient, calm man generally, but oh, I, I despised it. You died yeah. constantly, and not for any fault of your own. I thought it really it didn't capture what made Tomb Raider special at all. Mm-hmm. And that's a shame. It but is a shame. They were in a bit of a dark place, really, wasn't they, after Angel of Darkness? They just didn't know, as you, with all the history behind it, you, they, I don't think they knew what they were doing, really. And it wasn't until no, the 2013 I, reboot that they thought, let's start 
afresh. But that, that was another, yet another attempt to try and capture the magic of Lara Croft, which I yeah. think, I mean, it was a good game. It was very popular and it was, it was quite successful, but I, I still don't feel like it did anything for the industry. I don't remember people thinking it was special in mm-hmm. any way or that she was relevant again. And it's possible that Tomb Raider now is just, you know, it's a product of its time, but it's going to be almost impossible for anyone to get back into and really appreciate. Yeah. And I feel like now it's just half the time, it's just a benchmark test to see if your PC will run it. And then you turn it off Which, afterwards. <laughs> yep, it is that. So, That's it. as we wrap up, just one final question. Yeah. We talk about the unfairness of the game, Lara's propensity, propensity to die, uh, of all the utterly brutal deaths that Lara was subjected to. And in a somewhat depraved question, was there any in particular that you enjoyed the most? I, was most memorable. In Venice, second level of Tomb Raider 2, and getting that speedboat, uh, towards the end of the level, you've got to go through a minefield. Mm-hmm. minefield uh, to get through to the gates um, driving straight into that from the beginning of the missions driving straight into the mines, blowing her up and the boat, nothing beats it That's well I, I personally like uh, the when you stand on Midas's hand and turn to solid gold Right. whereas she effectively becomes the most valuable artifact of the entire series mm-hmm. yeah. which is you know which is just that makes a lot of sense since she's the game's key selling point. But yeah, yeah the exploding exploding Lara is, is is up there. I think it's cheating Tomb Raider two to help you to like actually let you explode Lara. What's that? Yeah, I oh. think you have to go through a complicated like acrobatic routine and then she'd just blow up on the spot. <laughs> That's completely worth really, it. Really, really, yeah. It spoke to cause they were tired of her already. They killed her off in Tomb Raider four, so they didn't have yeah. to make any more games. Yeah. So then said, no, you'll just do a prequel. <laughs> that didn't work. But anyway, I think. That probably wraps it up. Oh, it has to be anyway. Yeah. If you want to play the original Tomb Raider, there's a load of options. Obviously, mm-hmm. it's probably best on the PS1 or if yeah. you can get your hands on a Saturn. Uh, it's, I think it's on PSN. It's on yeah. Steam. It's on Steam. And I think... At one point in... I remember this very well. In 2013, they ported it to iOS. Why? I don't know. But you can't get them anymore. They no, removed well. it from the App Store. And the controls it's... were just as bad on that as well. I would say it's probably a better way to play Tomb Raider on a phone than playing it on the Engage, Captain Picard's favourite handheld. Did it come out on that? It was a launch title for the Engage. Oh, hell. I Why? mean, technically technically impressive, but yeah. it was still, what, a seven-year-old game at a time. Oh. You get to play it with 900 batteries on a phone. It, was, it wasn't the best. It should have made an actual <laughs> game for it. Yeah, so. nah. Oddly, oddly I'd never, it's never been on a Nintendo console. I don't think... No, I owned. I think I might have lied to, you, and I think I might have actually owned Anniversary on the Wii. Oh, so you could get a Nintendo console. Yeah, I think Legends and Anniversary were the first Nintendo ones. I know there was a there was a Game Boy Color game, but uh, the... I didn't know that. Oh, well, right. it's not been any. There's not been any since. No, um, no, absolutely not. And there probably won't be. But no. yeah, for for now that just about wraps things up so if you have any questions or suggestions or whatever send them to the hashtag WCGP James where can people follow you on socials if they so desire wherever they want wherever they want and if you want to follow me on social media you can't uh, but for now that wraps up goodbye have a nice day see you later Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? 
Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Hi, I'm Dori Shafrir. And I'm Kate Spencer. And we are the hosts of Forever 35. And today... We're talking about Club Med, the best all-inclusive getaway for families. Today, Club Med has nearly 70 resorts worldwide, from beachside resorts in the Caribbean and Mexico, to magical locations in the Maldives and Morocco, to ski resorts in the mountains from Canada to the Alps. Between their all-inclusive family programming, wellness offerings, land and water sports, and their French heritage-inspired food and drink offerings, Club Med is the best way to elevate your family getaway, no matter which location you're at. To learn more, visit clubmed.us. Shopify helps you sell at every stage of your business. Like that, let's put it online and see what happens stage. And the site is live. That we opened a store and need a fast checkout stage. Thanks, you're all set. That count it up and ship it around the globe stage. This one's going to Thailand. And that, wait, did we just hit a million orders stage? Whatever your stage, businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for your $1 a month trial at shopify.com slash listen. 